It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the topics you're discussing in the game we all love. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me, as always, is Duncan Castles, and I'm delighted to say we are joined by the Doyen of Spanish football. Um, I would say he's just a journalist, but he's not. He is multi, multi-talented. Guillaume Balaguer, the journalist, broadcaster, author, man about town, uh, podcaster extraordinaire as well. Guillaume, thank you very much for joining us today <laughs> in what will be, I think, a La Liga special. <laughs> hello, Ian. Hello, Duncan. That's, uh, that's uh, possibly the best introduction I've ever had. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> we do our best. We do our best. Um, obviously, there's only one place to start uh, when we've got such a knowledgeable and prestigious guest on the podcast. And that is, of course, the biggest game not just in European football, but in world football this weekend, which, of course, is El Clasico between Real Madrid and Barcelona. It's been a strange old season for both clubs with regards to changings of personnel, uh, odd situations regarding transfers and also form. Guillaume, how would you describe so far this season for... I mean, obviously, it's... Typical that uh, Madrid and Barca are top of La Liga and and obviously um, vying for the title, but not quite the same kind of competition that we're used to in terms of their superiority. It just feels like it's the last couple of episodes of one of our favourite series, uh, and it feels like uh, whatever comes after this series is is going to have different actors and actresses. So. The next series, we'll see if we'll watch, but this one, uh, it's, it's, it's coming to an end. Uh, and I think it, it goes for both teams. In the case of Real Madrid, we're seeing weaknesses that for a while, for a long while, Cristiano Ronaldo was, was hiding. And look how early in the conversation Cristiano Ronaldo has come up. But Real Madrid felt that uh, his departure was not going to be a problem. So last season, they realized that hmm, 50 goals is not that easy to replace. And this year, they spent 100 million in players up front with Jovic, Rodrigo, and of course, Hazard. And for different reasons, and we can go into detail uh, later, but basically hasn't, hasn't become the uh, dominating Real Madrid that fans would like to see and that we've grown used to see as well in, in recent years. To actually do the magic that uh, Zidane has done with Real Madrid, uh, with this Real Madrid, they need somebody that, as I say, just score the goals. Well, there are other weaknesses that don't get sorted out. Cristiano did that, but nobody else can do that. And in the case of Barcelona, we've seen also the end of an era that has lasted a long while. They have been the um, 
the team of the last almost decade or so. And with, uh, with Messi reaching the last two or three years of, of his career, but also with the likes of Busquets and Piquet finding it more and more difficult to uh, reach the heights of the past, this is, uh, this is a, a, a team, a giant that is dragging his feet into, uh, into a present that is very difficult for them to, to catch up with where football is going. And I think you discussed this many times. Football now is going towards the, the physique, the pace in terms of decision and running, uh, the collectivity in terms of what to do with and without the ball. And even though they were leaders of all that uh, some time ago, now they just cannot cannot go at the pace of others. That means that sometimes you get a disappointing uh, classical like we did in the first leg because it didn't mean a lot, as in nothing would have happened and it didn't happen after that. So it was a, it was a draw. Now it means a little bit more. This is on the back of, uh, of uh, Real Madrid only getting one victory in the last six, three defeats. A couple of them very hurtful ones against Levante and, and Manchester City, the last two. Uh, they've only beaten Osasuna, I think, in the last six. And Barcelona ahead by two points. For Barcelona, they come on the back of the disappointment of, uh, of Napoli. A lot of noise inside the camp. A lot of uh, unhappy people. Uh, uh, the division between the players and the board is gone wide again. And I think the players are started to coming out with lines that you don't expect, having a go at the club, kind of saying, if everything collapses, like it seems like, for instance, is about to happen with Real Madrid, it's not our fault. It's not down to us. It's down to others that have uh, left a very small squad, an unbalanced squad, and perhaps didn't go for the players that should, get, should have gone to. Uh, according to the players, perhaps they would have preferred to have name instead of Griezmann. There's all that. That's the background of what it is the most attractive in my eyes game that you can find in, in world football. And I include the, the Boca River and others. Uh, the, the, there is still a lot of glamour around this Clásico. Uh, and as I say, it means much more than the first leg of this one in La Liga because five points if Barcelona win could be a big gap. But I must say, this is also a very, very competitive league. And I think both of them will still drop points before the end of the season. So nothing will be determined then, but we left it at the end of the Sunday, so you watched all your football, you relaxed, you put the feet up, and then you can watch what it should be a, a wonderful spectacle, I think. So, two, two questions, Guillaume. One, do you think we will get a better game of football than we got in the first Classico, that first goalless Classico for years? And two, you, you talk a lot about how the Barcelona players are kind of trying to distance themselves from the problems within the club. And I think that's something we haven't really seen before in football with a such a notable figure as Messi in particular giving an interview and attacking the sports director and, and sort of expressing the, what you, you're telling us about there. Is that situation fixable at Barcelona? Or is it something that can't be repaired because it... It is a kind of conflict that we've not seen in the public domain in this way before. The, the conflict, let's leave it as, as the second part, and I find the whole thing fascinating for many, many reasons and many layers that we'll discuss. But in terms of uh, can we see a good football, there is few problems that suggest that, uh, that perhaps it will be another conservative classical. Uh, first of all, I don't think 
either team wants to lose. That's what happened in that in that goalless draw early in the in the year. They don't want to lose because of what it will mean uh, going forward at a time where uh, you know it does affect you mentally and it does affect the perception that people have got of you and it does affect your own confidence. So so it, not losing it seems like a better solution for both sides than than obviously coming at home with a with a defeat. But also, you have to say the quality, the collective quality of both sides, uh, it's inferior to what uh, we've been grown to see. Now, a lot of people are saying this is this is already or have become the worst classicos ever, or or classicos that you know don't match the expectations and all that. It feels like everybody, everybody's thirty, <laughs> and everybody, <laughs> football-wise, that we've just been brought up in the last fifteen years. <laughs> uh, you know, those that remember beyond the Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho era and, uh, and Luis Enrique and so on and see that recently, uh, we've seen all kinds of classicals. And uh, the thing is, and it will happen when Liverpool start having the normal stats again. It'll feel like everything else is so poor because we've been in paradise. Still, is very competitive. And these two sides still got a lot to say. But yes, uh, compared to the, the best Classicos, we are talking about a Real Madrid that um, you saw against Manchester City. What is the strength? Uh, and football, uh, the teams are a mirror of the managers. What is the, the, the magic of, of Zidane? Well, he was a talented player that uh, puts talent above anything else. That includes enough work for the team to find collective answers to any problems. Yes, he changes things. Yes, he, he surprises with elections, leaving Cross on, on the bench was a massive surprise against Manchester City. But the reason why this happened will tell you what Real Madrid is like now. Kroos doesn't know why he didn't play. He uh, he was very upset at the end of the game and doesn't know. I can tell you that Kun Agüero and, I don't know, Fernandinho knew exactly why they weren't playing. Because they were uh, much, uh, a formation that will depend on where Vinicius was playing, on the shape of the midfield, on the alternatives that Zidane could put in during the game. All that was planned. For Real Madrid, it was like, mm, it's not cross today, it's Modric, maybe cross for the Clásico. And there isn't a terribly more depth into the decisions of Zidane. What happens is, as long as the, the, the individuals sort you out the day, that's fine. But when they had to defend a Manchester City that are not used to defending the last third, but still managed to do collectively, they just don't find the gaps. They just don't find the runs in behind, the things that you have to do to have the organized attack that is demanded at the top of the game. That's Real Madrid. And Barcelona are trying to create those conditions, but haven't got time to do it differently to what Valverde had set up. So Kike Setien will like a Barcelona that can uh, dominate, that can have players... Yes, running in behind, that, 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 that when that happens, others can take advantage of the spaces that have been created. Those kind of things that come from a lot of training. But what Valverde had seen with Barcelona is that this was a very uh, unbalanced Barcelona, not a perfect team. So he started making them compact and little by little dragging them deeper because they don't have the energy to pressure high. Kike Setien comes in and says, no, no, they can do it. They did for a while in the first few games under him. They're not doing that so much. There's not enough energy. This squad is not made for what Kike Setien wants to do. So while he finds the balance between what he can do and what he would like to do, time passes by, not enough time to training. And again, this is a Barcelona that is not perfect. So 
that's why I'm saying under those conditions, I think those teams will probably make sure that they don't take many risks. But you know, this is uh, I'm not I'm terrible at predictions. It, it may just be completely the opposite. But that's what it feels <laughs> at the moment. Uh, and in terms, yes, uh, I was going to get into the into the conflict, and and I understand why people may think that this doesn't normally happen. Because it seems like a coordinated attack from the captains of Barcelona. And if not, if it's not coordinated, it seems like they've been talking about it so much that they feel almost natural to come out with some of it publicly. So you had Piquet saying the team is hiding the cracks and is holding the club together. By the way, that's happened for a while now. Uh, Busquets is saying, unfortunately... We've got a smaller squad, and that has been the decision. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that has been the decision of the club, suggesting that, of course, they just don't have enough players. And, in fact, they've got 15 professional uh, players in the squad right now. The rest have been either sold or they're injured. And Messi, not once but twice, had a go at Avidal. Now, that is news, because he's done it before. And... And when he does it, he has had the backing of, of all the players, all the captains. Uh, in a couple of occasions that I can think of in the past, Messi has come out and had a go at, at a director. And, but he's left it there. OK, he said his thing and the club reacts. Uh, everything gets reorganized. Sometimes the director has to go and, you know, life goes on. But... Messi, a few days after that famous Instagram post in which he had a go at Avidal for, because Avidal suggested that the players had to do with the dismissal of Valverde. And then, and then Messi said, you know, everybody has got to, to take responsibilities for the decisions. The dismissal of Valverde is your decision. I'm adding that, but that's what he was saying. Uh, fed up of being pointed as, you know, with a finger of blame when something goes wrong. Uh, basically, Messi reacted. Asked about it again a few days later. He said it again. I felt attacked. So personally, I had to react. I felt the players were attacked. So as a captain, he had to react as well. When that happens, you have to... Obviously, we've heard all the stories of what's happening there. Um, how the directors blame the players for having too much authority and being unable to bring the players that they would like. And the players saying, actually, we're not the ones sacking anybody. Messi and Ter Stegen, two of the leaders, wanted Valverde to stay. And they didn't get, they didn't get the wish. Messi, Luis Suarez, Piquet wanted, Gris, uh, wanted uh, Neymar to come in. They didn't get the wish. They originally wanted Griezmann to come in, and then he didn't. And then when the opportunity raised, when Griezmann said, to, two months into the season, two months after having signed a new contract with Atletico Madrid, he sends a message to Barcelona and says, ah, come on, get me. I made, I made a mistake. Then the player said, hmm, not so sure it's a good idea, this. I'd rather you spend the money on Neymar. They didn't get the wish either. So there is that division. Uh, I see a club lacking in vision, uh, being ambitious, but not, but f- having to spend a lot of energy in the, in the day-to-day in, in hiding the cracks. If... Uh, if you're interested, we can get into the social media incident that has happened recently regarding the club and some bot accounts uh, that have gone against players and, and candidates to the presidency and in favor of Bartomeu. But generally what that means, again, is, is a very strange behavior from the, from the directors at the club 
trying to hide things to decision makers within the club as well. Anyway, it, it all seems like Barcelona needs uh, a reformation, new people coming in, given the best years of their lives, as you know, in the Laporta era, perhaps to Barcelona to readdress issues for this giant of football that at the moment is earning like more than most clubs in the world, but spending almost all the money that comes in, so unable really to to grow uh, in, in, in the pace that they should grow. Yeah, and we've spoken a lot and a lot has been written and said regarding the end of an era at Barcelona. When Pep left, it was possibly the end of, the, well, it was the end of his era. And then obviously when he, the likes of Iniesta, Xavi, um, went elsewhere it was the end of that dream team etc etc since then there seems to be a lack of direction uh, in terms yeah. of uh, how the club progress and how they maintain that philosophy and that spirit um it seems like more scattergun now you think about the transfers of coutinho um of dembele etc and, and they've not worked out um, and, and they seem like a club to me to be basically falling from one sort of fault to another, hoping to find a solution rather than actually having a clear vision of, of where they should be. Yeah, if you read about the ending of the Roman Empire, <laughs> you'll find a lot of clues <laughs> of uh, what's happening here. Uh, they, they thought that they found the, um, the formula of the Coca-Cola and applied it um, from then on, thinking that it will be eternal. So they kind of copied themselves from that year in 2010, in which the three best players in the world were Barcelona players, uh, not realizing that how they got there was in a, a lineal way, uh, not realizing that, these, that you know, it was partly accidents that took them there, and partly, obviously, the, 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 the defense of an idea. Um, after that, their, their, their results have hidden the lack of direction the confusion at the top, the mediocrity of, of the people in charge, the strange decisions, many strange decisions. Uh, I think it was, they, they signed in the last seven, eight years, I think 16 Brazilians. How many do you remember? Where are, where, why are they going for so many Brazilians? What's the idea behind it? Why are they selling Carlos Perez or Abel, uh, players coming through the ranks or let Aleña leave? Or, you know, use Ricky Puch, a guy who's now 20, 21 now, but as, as, the, uh, as the hope, the white hope, when actually uh, he hasn't proved anything, uh, why him and all others, why others that have got quality are not coming to the first team? Why don't they get play, managers that allow the cantera, the, the, the quarry, to succeed, to get it wrong and right, as young players have to do, and as it happened in the past? And nobody can answer that because there really isn't, as I said, enough leadership at the top. But as we have the opportunity here, because you told me that that your audience likes to hear things in depth, let me go a little bit on a tangent, which also may explain a little bit why is hap what's happening at, at Barcelona. Barcelona has always been two clubs. It's always been divided between Josep Luis Núñez and Johan Cruyff. Núñez being the chairman of, uh, of, of Barcelona for a couple of decades, who represented the, um, the more practical way of things, uh, and Johan Cruyff, who has the vision 
they at some point got together, but then they ended up being enemies. That division has continued, uh, not so much into Núñez, favours of Núñez and favours of Cruyff, but certainly those that defend what Pep Guardiola wanted to do with the club, the philosophy that's behind it. And what Sandro Rossell and Bartomeu have been trying to do with the club, which is to open up, uh, take, take, take the influence away from Cruyff and Pep Guardiola and trying to make a more universal club in a different direction. More Brazilians, for instance, uh, I think uh, in, in times of crisis, Rossell, who of course ended up being the president of Barcelona, will have like to Scolari to be in charge of, of Barcelona instead of perhaps Pep Guardiola. That's, that's, that division continues. So at the back of that, uh, today the editor of Sport uh, has put an editorial saying, why is Pep Guardiola not with us? <laughs> why is he not there? And I get, I imagine many people in the world might, must be asking that. He's a top Barcelona fan. He loves Barcelona. It's the club of his life. What is he doing at Manchester City? It's fine that he goes It's to an Bayern, easy question, game after he, he beat Real Madrid in the Champions League. <laughs> no, no, no. But yes, 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 obviously, uh, it's an opportunistic moment to say it. But behind that question, there is, an easy, there is an easy answer that not everybody outside Catalonia and outside the world of Barcelona understands. And is what I'm trying to get to, which is Pep Guardiola is not there because the people in charge don't want his influence. Don't want Johan Cruyff to be the guru and the reference of Barcelona. But why don't they want that? Because they see business somewhere else? Because they think that there is another alternative? Because they think they're bigger than them? Because they think they can, they have better answers? And that division goes everywhere. Uh, the two Catalan newspapers, Sport and Mundo Deportivo, reflects it. Sport, pro, pro Pep Guardiola. Mundo Deportivo against Pep Guardiola. When uh, City gets... Uh, the ban, the two-year ban, the cover of Mundo Deportivo was Pep Guardiola saying, oh, bad news for City. When City go to the camp, to the Bernabeu and win, the picture of the Mundo Deportivo in the cover is the team, no sign of Pep Guardiola. So me, many people may be surprised that Pep Guardiola divides opinion as well in Barcelona. And it's amazing that that's the case because they are uh, unusing uh, an asset of the club and they they are wasting the time not trying to bring him back well going in this tangent there's going to be elections in 2021 Bartomeu Sandro Rossell in the background and this other way of thinking of the club will present somebody else because Bartomeu cannot stay for another mandate somebody else of their liking and in against that it will go Victor Font this is a name I put out there now, but you'll hear more in the future. Who is the candidate of Xavi Hernandez, or the other way around? Xavi Hernandez will be the manager of Xavi Fond if he goes in charge. I do think Xavi is behind that candidacy big time. Wants to convince Puyol to be part of it. Perhaps Piquet at some point. Maybe Pep Guardiola at some point. The, the other side is presenting a candidacy that's very, very strong. And that division will continue until the elections get called out. We don't know when. It could be 2021. It could be earlier. And that division is what stops Barcelona growing. It's a club in, in, in a crossroad right now. They need to move on from what you described as the, the end of an era. But how do you do that? Uh, and the solution of Bartomeu and others is like Neymar. The solution for Victor Fon and Xavi Hernandez is 
club idea, philosophy. And I tell you what, despite all those very wonderful uh, dichotomy and ideas, the moment Messi leaves, give it two years, three years maximum, I think, it will be such a disaster. They're not prepared for it. And it'll be a, a, a journey to the desert. So we're starting to see a Barcelona that uh, many are suggesting may end up being like Manchester United. I don't think it'll get that bad. But it will be a difficult few years ahead for the club. You interviewed Messi recently, Guillaume. Now, you've obviously been someone who's been around the player for most of his Barcelona career, if not all of it. I'm interested to know when you sat in the room with him, you look in his eyes, you, you read his body language, you interpret not just his answers, but the way he gives them. What did you think about what his feelings are regarding what's happening at Barcelona now, what may be happening in the future and his, for his own future as well? It will be an educated answer to this one because uh, on the back of that, I started asking around players, directors, people that were with him and having had uh, time with him and, and having seen his evolution, I, I presented about I think it's eight commercial events with him and, and uh, wrote the, the only authorised biography that is out there. I did a blog for the BBC, uh, which I think came out today or yesterday in which I, I tried to answer that same question because it's an it's a interesting time in, in the life of Messi. And the first, the first thing to, that I saw, that got instinct as well as, you know, uh, educated ear, if you like, was uh, we went back to time. We, we started talking about Ronaldinho because it was for the Ronaldinho movie that Ronaldinho was preparing. And there was, there was, there was um, I kind of put it, his eyes lit up talking about the time where he came into his first training session, invited almost like Ronaldinho as well as Rijkaard, uh, Ronaldinho, De Comota, all that team, they said to uh, Rijkaard, you should bring this guy in. Now, when you come into a, into a training ground, your first training session, you need to know, first of all, literally, but uh, metaphorically as well. And there is two rondos at the beginning of every training session the Brazilian one, and then the others. <laughs> the Brazilian one, you have to be very good to be able to come in. Well, he was invited to that one straight away. So Ronaldinho, they goes, yeah, you come here, kid. Uh, he was 17 at the time, and he was remembering all that. And obviously, you know, he doesn't talk a lot, but he, he had lots to say about that moment. And at the end of that training session, Ronaldinho told a friend of mine, I've just seen the best player in the world. This is Ronaldinho, who at the time was the best player in the world. The humility of that, but the realization that, that perhaps his, his kingdom was, was coming to an end. And then he, to, he told me as well, um, the moment where Ronaldinho, everybody knew he was leaving that year. And Ronaldinho, they, you know, they do that walk from uh, where they got changed to the pitch. They don't train there anymore. It was near the, um, the Camp Nou. And they were walked together and Ronaldinho said to him, look, I want you to have the number 10 next season. Make sure that you have it. It's your shared. I'm leaving. You know, it's your time. And, uh, and it was always emotional to hear him talk about that. What I'm saying with this is that he hasn't lost his passion quite clearly. Uh, but I'm sure that when we start looking at the past with mel- melancholy, 
uh, it's because there is something missing in the present, maybe. He said it himself, uh, Messi, in an interview with Mundo Deportivo, with what we've got, we don't have enough to win the Champions League. And that's the real frustration of him that he's only been won. How long has he been with the first team? Is it 15 years or so? I can't remember now. But basically, uh, they won it not enough times, four times in that period. Uh, not enough. Not enough when you had the best player in the world, perhaps the best player in, the, in, you know, in history. And not, not when they haven't won it for, is it eight years now? Uh, so you are talking about, I'm sure, a frustrated player from that point of view who didn't understand why Neymar didn't come in. Of course, there are other things that the club had to have in consideration, like Neymar has taken Barcelona to court like four times the last time this week, uh, demanding 6.5 million euros from the first contract that he did with Barcelona. Uh, there is that to consider. Uh, there's the way he left. But... He also said, I think, inadvertently in that interview, he said, but he's desperate to come back. <laughs> it's like, PSG would be happy about that. But uh, yes, he came out the wrong way, he said, and, and perhaps he will have to apologize for it. OK, there is a strategy you can put in place where, where that happens. And this is not to please Messi. This is because he thinks with Neymar, the team can win more. What will happen with Griezmann? If that happens, we'll have to see. Uh, perhaps... He doesn't belong there at that point to Barcelona. But anyway, uh, that's why Barcelona will go for Neymar. But isn't it too late, all, all too late, all of a sudden, this Barcelona still don't look as competitive as they should be? And, and you notice it in the way when they go away, for instance, they've been dropping points away in the league. Uh, I think 2015 was the last time that Luis Suarez scored a goal away. Crazy. And they don't win so many games away in the Champions League either and remember what happened against, against Roma, uh, you know, obviously against Liverpool, against Napoli was so disappointing as well. So I think that's what I'm seeing when I'm, when I'm, when I'm looking and talking to, to Leo Messi, somebody that would like the team to still compete. As you know, his contract finishes every year now like that and could go for free. He's not thinking of leaving. Uh, there, were, there were other occasions in the past where he did think seriously of leaving. Not now. Partly because he needs to be... I mean, one of the reasons why I presented eight commercial events with him is, is because he needs to feel comfortable wherever he is. That's his, that's his demand, the maximum demand, to feel comfortable. Uh, he perhaps doesn't put it like that, but people around him make sure that he's got Pepe Costa, the player liaison with him, that Luis Suarez is looking after him, that, that, you know, that, that he, he has a routine both at work and in his life. His girlfriend's the girlfriend he's had since he was 16, 17. Uh, you know, he knows everything around his house and where he is. So the possibility of leaving at some point and going to New old boys, he, his old dream looks more and more distant because he needs to be comfortable. He's got that. That's why he doesn't need to leave. But he wants a team to be competitive. And now it's going to be a time of fight, uh, outside the club for that election that I'm mentioning. The sooner that election goes, the, the better. So, you know, whatever the plan is next starts being put in place. But the future for him is not his, is not his problem. But as I said earlier, they're not prepared for life without Messi. They're not prepared. But it's impossible to be prepared. We see it with Cristiano. We see it with Charles Ferguson. We've seen it as well with Arsene Wenger. What comes next is always disaster. 
but yeah, that's not that's not Messi's issue now. Guillaume, I, I read your article and um, also read uh, Messi's interview that he did recently with Mundo Deportivo, and you get a sense from those two pieces of someone who has been thrust into a position he doesn't actually want to be in. You talk about him being a leader and the captain, the director of the side, and it's almost like he he's had to take on this role to try and solve the huge problems at Barcelona that you've just detailed for us to try and stay at the club he loves and achieve further success in the Champions League. But it's not really his personality to be that person. And he knows that politically he's a, he's a major figure because the president and whoever wants to be the president has to be seen to be on side with Lionel Messi because Lionel Messi is the great success of Barcelona and the great talent of Barcelona and has been for these 15 years that he's been in the team. See, the thing is, how, how did he get there? As, as you suggest, it's, it's perhaps not a, a natural inclination to actually be a leader and a, a, accumulate so much authority. Mm. But at the same time, if nobody has got that authority, somebody's taken on, on board. Plus, if, if the new people that are coming in, directors of football, presidents, technical secretaries, accept the status quo, the establishment, which is that the changing room of Barcelona has got a lot of power and a lot of authority, you're not going to get it back. That monster is going to grow to a point that perhaps you cannot manage anymore. So that's why the that's what you hear from the directors. We cannot do anything with that team, not much, because we cannot change it. They are in charge. Yeah, fine. Well, you know, you you gave them that authority. If you don't think that's the perfect balance for a club in which the changing room has got more power than than the directors, well, do something about it. But nobody feels brave enough to do anything with that. And meanwhile. Wanting it or not, more like not wanting it, Messi keeps keeps just steering the team, at least, into the direction of success and competitiveness, demanding more of everybody. That is understood by some as an excess of authority. As what it is, is exactly what you're just saying. Just taking charge when nobody is taking charge. But big decisions depend on him. And that's why he gets upset when people within the club, especially, suggest that he's in charge. As I said, he didn't want Valverde, Valverde to go. He didn't want um, uh, he did want Neymar to come back. Those could have been decisions. Why did he want them? Is it because they're friends of him? No, because he, since he's been 11, he's wanted to have next to him people that help them win games. A lot of the time, for most of his career, he's wanted to be there because he's the guy win, winning games. Not because he's egotistical, or, and of course, everybody at that level has got an ego, but you know, in, in the past, he's been accused of killing, you know, Samuel Eto'o and Ibrahimovic and, uh, and Boyan Kerkic. And I saw it very clearly what was happening there when uh, Kike Dominguez, a coach that he had when he was 11, told me, you know what happens when there are other players that could be good, but are on the way of Messi? Ask the coaches, get rid of them. We don't want them. Let Messi grow. You know, in the case of Ibrahimovic, he was geographically in the place where Messi does these runs. And when Pep said to him, sorry, Ibra, you have to move to one side, uh, Ibra said, but I'm Zlatan. <laughs> OK, well, then you have to go. 
So that, <laughs> that that's a phrase being... we love on this particular podcast. Game, is that right? To say I am Zlatan <laughs> is legendary on this podcast. <laughs> well, it was like that, and Zlatan still doesn't understand why he's been pushed out. Well, because you didn't want to move from from that place where you want to when you want the ball, and that, by the way, I'm sorry, but that's the diagonal that Messi does. So anyway, that has been confused by many as oh, Messi wanting to get rid of people. No. It's just everybody around him are making his path clearer. Messi's a rock going down a mountain. But of course, if you've got somebody cleaning the, the trees on the way, well, it makes it all easier for him. So he's been accumulating all this authority. Who would you give it to anyway if he doesn't take charge of the side? And then you need to have around him people that understand that. Ernesto Valverde understood that. The same way that he understood that this side hasn't got energy, that this side need to be compact, yes, deeper than you would like them to be, but, it's, but if you actually put them further up the field, trying to pressure high in those early five, six seconds, as Kike Satien is doing, they'll do it sometimes, they won't do it other times, within the same game. They'll do it some games, they won't do it other games, and then you have the, uh, the, um, the irregular Barcelona that you're seeing now. Valverde wasn't taking Barcelona into the style that everybody wants because it's impossible to do with this team. So, Kike Setien tries something else. You've seen the deficiencies of it. Who's responding to, or who's filling the gaps? Who's hiding the cracks? Well, Messi is, meanwhile. So, he's trying to hold together the decay of a team and the confusion of a club. That's, that's a lot on, on his shoulders. But still, as you said, he loves the club and wants to keep doing it. Guillem, you mentioned um, earlier in the podcast about Pep Guardiola and um, why some people, obviously, in Catalonia um, certainly wonder why he's not part of this Barcelona um, at this point in time when they need to have a figurehead and a leader. But this is also a man who led Manchester City to a historic uh, win in the Santiago Bernabeu against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Um, Pep's um, prowess, if you like, in terms of Champions League victories seems to have deserted him uh, since he left Camp Nou. Uh, he didn't win it in four attempts uh, with um, Bayern Munich and uh, he has struggled also with Manchester City. Do you think this might be his year in terms of uh, the possibility of winning the trophy? Um, and also, I guess, and a big question that certainly is here in England, if he does, is there a possibility he'll walk and say, I've done everything I can now with Manchester City, it's time for me to move somewhere else? On, on the second part, he's, he's staying until the end of his contract. And uh, one thing that may happen, and one thing that they were considering before the two-year ban, is to actually give him another contract uh, to to make it look, look like he's not leaving at the end of next season. So, and then, you know, allow the possibility if he wanted to stay on, to stay on. But I think the plan has always been to maybe leave at the end of his, of his contract. We will see what happens with the new circumstances. But I don't know what's going to happen with Manchester City in the Champions League. But I do know for certain that I, I, I will not judge Pep Guardiola on whatever happens with Manchester City in the Champions League. In fact, I'll tell you more, I won't judge Pep Guardiola on what's happening in his career in the Champions League, a cup competition. 
Now, you say that obviously he didn't manage to get to the final and win it with Bayern Munich. Uh, he went to a few semifinals there. And, and yeah, with Manchester City, I think he would be the first one to admit that they're still behind schedule because the plan when he came to Manchester City was not to win the Champions League. He, he has never been asked to do that. But he was asked to be dominant in the Premier League. And he, he, so far, he at the, end, at the end of the season, would have been 50% of the titles he would have won. And of course, he will try to recover that next season. And also the plan was to to have Manchester City in the semi-finals regularly. And that hasn't happened. So getting to the semi-finals is still is the target. Uh, but more importantly, to, to make an impact in, in Europe regularly, that still is the target. Let's see what happens with, with the ban. There is too much emphasis on, on the Champions League and what it means for the prestige of players and managers. I mean... You know, if you if you argue how good or bad Pep Guardiola is, um, you are actually discussing the value of one of the top, say, being generous, three, four managers in the world. The top three, four managers in the world are brilliant. End of. <laughs> you may like or dislike their style. You may consider that uh, what uh, that they maximize more or less the sides, but really to be the top four or five in the world, you surely have maximized the potential. If you also add a style to it, oh my God, that's 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 superb. Don't argue how good or bad they are. Argue how good or bad is the number 18th in that list that we can create of managers in the world, because number 18th is number 18th. It's not three, four, third, fourth, or second or first. But the top five managers in the world, whoever you want them to be, why argue when if they're good or bad? I know what's behind the discussion about Pep Guardiola. It's not so much how good or bad he is, even though it's put in those terms. It's that a lot of what he does is not understood by people. And when you see something you don't really understand, when you're actually seeing somebody in the vanguard uh, leading the way, and look what he's doing with Ederson now, not so much at the Santiago Bernabeu, but in a lot of games, because now you've got teams defending so deep that the number nine of the rival defends the holding midfielder of Manchester City. Well, there is the possibility of actually the goalkeeper be one of the three centre-backs, if you like, in that formation, when the team attacks. Why not? Well, he's still trying new things. When you see that in a musician or in an artist, in an architect, you go like, wow, I don't like that there's so many rectangles, so many lines in an architect. But wow, what he's trying to do. That should be really be the discussion. The problem is that not many people understand what he's trying to do. And they perhaps are tired of seeing or hearing many people like me saying, he's creating a new path. He's making us think about the game. We actually see new things. And bravo for that because he's challenging what I know. The same way that he's challenging the players that he's got. We should be praising that because in every walk of life, in every field, anybody who does that, bravo. Because you think you knew, you knew everything. We thought that we football had already taken, you know, were in, in, in a place that could not be changed. Well, he comes in and says, no, no, it can be changed. In fact, I can go to um, Beckenbauer's house and play like Cruyff. In fact, I can go to the Premier League and they tell me that it's not possible to do this thing. And then you see the best football that's ever been seen in the Premier League. That's not like that loose. And that's not like by the mediocre minds that thing that uh, why do we have to pray somebody that's showing us a different way? Not the best way, eh? a different way. And I say everybody that challenges what your perception of 
of what you know. Just listen, listen and enjoy because it's opening up your, your, your mind. Uh, and again, perhaps people are thinking, yeah, but, you know, he, he, he's 22 points from Liverpool. Yes, he is. And there are reasons for it. But in terms of what Pep Guardiola is doing to you, to you two and to me as, as an analyst, analyst of this and to Manchester City and, and, and to the coaches that are, I'm the chairman of a football club, we play, we're trying to play in a lot of ways that he taught us with an English first team coach <laughs> and with English players. And it's coming off. We're fighting for promotion this year. It's taking a while, but we're there. And we're doing it that way. And I said to everybody, this is the way we're doing it because it can be done even in a step five. That's because of him. And I would just always have to praise that and celebrate the fact that in our lifetime, we've seen somebody that's shown us another way. So, so Guillaume, earlier you were telling us that uh, there are people in Barcelona asking why Pep Guardiola hasn't come back to Barcelona, why Barcelona haven't invited him back to solve the, the very large problems that are there. Do you see that as a realistic option for Pep Guardiola if he's invited, if someone in the presidential race decides, I want to get Guardiola back at Barcelona, or, or is he too intelligent to get involved in that mess, and as you as you point out, the, the even greater mess that's going to occur when Lionel Messi um, leaves the club. Um, so rather he chooses to go to Italy, where he has a standing invitation from Juventus to take over as manager. Is that not the pattern of his career to to be very astute about his choices of clubs rather than put himself into a, a difficult situation? The, the path that I've always been told, and this is not a guess, but I don't know if it will happen, was that after Manchester City uh, comes another break and a national side, uh, and okay. then the possibility of doing other things. But we will see, because uh, as, as you suggest, there'll be very interesting offers on the table otherwise. Plus, uh, I, know, I know everybody at Barcelona feels that the post-Messi era should be led by him in whatever capacity he wants. Uh, but it has to be done with people that he trusts. So, uh, so Victor Fon, for instance, that we mentioned already, he he certainly would like to convince him. Uh, I think when Victor Fon and Pep Guardiola meet and they met a few times, Pep Guardiola introduced him to people as the future chairman of Barcelona. Well, if there is that reference and 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 Pep has got. Uh, respect for Victor Fon. Maybe one day he'll listen. At the moment, he, he pushes, he brushes everything away. No, 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 no. But the magnet of Barcelona is so huge. Going back home is so huge. As you know, uh, his wife is back in Barcelona and his daughter. Uh, they, they come over every weekend for two, three days. But basically, you know, he is now doing a job in Manchester uh, instead of, you know, having a family lifestyle, if you like, and, and you know how tiring that can be and demanding as well when your family is away. So obviously he won't be at Manchester City forever. And going back home, even to rest, may actually give him the opportunity to see what's happening. It's just that the whole thing is so political. There is so many big decisions that have to be taken. And I don't think he'll be scared of them, even though he's, not, he's, he's never been um, too attracted to conflict. But... Uh, it needs to be with, with, you know, maybe a Bayern situation, you know, with Puyol and Piquet and, uh, and I don't know, and, and Xavi uh, and, and, and people like that in charge of the club in a, in a structure in which he will feel 
comfortable as, I don't know, director of the academy or do the Johan Cruyff thing of being the guru behind the scenes, but no role, no official role. They'll try to convince him. Uh, it, it makes complete sense for somebody who's, if you think about it, you know, what an asset Barcelona have. They've got this guy that took Barcelona to a, to a place where they've never been uh, in terms of style and success. Goes away and, and lands other ways because this Manchester City that we're seeing is not the Barcelona of, of, of 2008. And then comes back and applies it all back into the club of his love. It makes so much sense. But I insist he says no to all that right now. Uh, and no, he says no in the future. No, 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 no. But who knows? Uh, I know that big forces will be applied to try to convince him. And it will be a good rounded ending to his to his love affair with the club. So so political as a club and so political as a as a country at present. There's, there's, yes. there's multiple complications there for a return to Catalonia and, and Barcelona. But let, let's talk about another um, coach who's, who's done great things in English football and who you know very well. You wrote a book um, with Mauricio Pochettino um, covering period of his time at Tottenham Hotspur. What's he doing now? And how? what job does he want? And, and how hard is he is he trying to get a job um, for next season? Remember, he hasn't got an agent, so there's no active search for a new job. But uh, there's been approaches from big clubs. I'm sure that he's going to end up in a big bench. Uh, and, and I think he's trying to recharge his batteries. I know he's ready for whatever comes next. And obviously nothing will be started until next season. But I know everybody else at the, um, of the coaching staff are, are re, uh, recycling their ideas, their thinking. They had so many new situations at, uh, at Spurs in which they had to apply new solutions. You know, not having a recycled um, squad, for instance, presented so many new challenges. Well, they've learned from it. But now there are things that they have to see and spend time with, like, you know, new because they've always been at the forefront of the of the of the of technology applied to football, so they need to see the new technology, the new software, the new hardware, and, and see what they can do with it. Talk about football, uh, just just uh, trying to create new links, new new you know. There's a lot of networking taking place. Uh, he's gonna teach me golf next week. Uh, I don't know how that's gonna go because I've never played golf and I don't like golf. But it may allow me to check on his, um, on his teaching credentials and leadership credentials on that one because I really don't want to be learning golf. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll see, I'll see what happens with that. But so, you know, the, the social, there is, there is thinking and there is preparation for, for another big job. One that they know it won't be the perfect job because... You know, if there is, if if, if, the, if the team is in a perfect condition, you don't change your manager. But one that ha- will be ambitious and big uh, and will fulfil their their need of staying the elite uh, to be part of a project, to be working with people and for people that they trust and have got a good feeling for. All those things are important. Money. It's just, you know, it goes with it, doesn't it? It's not that important. The rest is crucial. And one where they can see that they can grow as people and as, and as coaches. So the options are there and, 
and uh, the options are, are big and everybody knows them. So the decision has to be made and uh, we'll have to see what happens in the next few months. I'm looking forward to seeing them back on the bench. Looking back on his decision to stay after the Champions League final, does he feel he made a mistake to remain at Tottenham? Given could... that it ended in the way that it did, it's, it's an, a blemish on his on what had been a, a very, very impressive run of success at numerous clubs. Um, suddenly he has a sacking on his CV, which people didn't expect. And and and, prob- and I think most people would say it wasn't really his responsibility, but uh, no coach wants to be fired. Yeah, but that's important, Duncan, because if, if you've come out to that conclusion because you've got the information, uh, the clubs would have reached the same conclusion. It's not, nothing to do with him. He got sacked because it was the end of a time together because they were demanding. And I think they put the point across many times very clearly. They wanted a series of things to happen for Spurs to continue challenging. And those things didn't happen. So then they went a completely different direction. And that tells you what, what the club is about right now. It's, it's not so much about a project, an idea and be developing it. There are other priorities uh, and there is limits as well. So, so you know, would he have left before? <laughs> it wasn't his decision. Um, you know, why, why resign when you think you can still have got the energy, you still got the strength to fight? Then you may realize that actually you may not have that energy and you may not have the people listening to you. But uh, it's for the club to actually take the step of, OK, uh, go. You won't be able to manage anywhere else until next year, but go uh, and, and, you know, there'll be a financial recompense, recompense for that. And, and, uh, and then, yes, and then, okay, you wake up one day and then think, all right, I'm not there anymore. But I don't think it was a decision for him to take. Uh, he still was fighting for the club to go the direction he wanted. It, uh, and the club said, okay, we're not going that way. You sacked. Fine. Uh, that's why it's important that, that, the message of people within the club, uh, managers, maybe not directly, but sometimes you know how it works. That through 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 the right people in the media, they put the point across. So at least when things that like this happens, you and me and future clubs that could employ him will have the full picture of what happened at at Spurs or or whatever else. When you get the sack, it's important. It was important for Mauricio, I think, to have a book out there in which he explained what he's about. So he didn't have to do it all the time and in a language that he dominates instead of having to spend himself in English. But it also helps in situations like now where he's, he hasn't got a job. I'm sure is a reference point, that book and, and what he tells you about what he's like uh, for, you know, for the, for the next job and the future jobs as well. Yeah, and, and look, you mentioned it's important to get messages out through people in the media. I mean, we've referred on the Transfer Window podcast during that period at Tottenham to a couple of articles you wrote talking about Pochettino's options and how he was thinking about Tottenham. And, you know, they, they set the background in the way you're talking about. So you have that relationship there. Hypothetical situation, Manchester City knock Real Madrid out of the the Champions League, Barcelona managed to win La Liga again. Madrid are looking for a new coach in the summer. Mm. Maurizio Pochettino has the choice between Manchester United and Real Madrid in the summer, hypothetically. And he asks you, Guillaume, what do you think 
which way should I go? What would your advice be as one of the people <laughs> he canvasses? Because of the knowledge of, of football, what would your advice be to him? I'll say, uh, what is it that PSG have told you? And uh, <laughs> do you know that Pep Guardiola is leaving in, in a year, don't you? So Manchester City would be there. Which one is the one that attracts you the most? You know Real Madrid will always be there. Always be there. And there'll be a time where that happens. Is it the right time now? I think it would be good that he flares with that idea. And that he, you know, he, he, everybody knows Barcelona wanted him. So he's the only person in the world, I think, in recent times that that said no to Barcelona and Real Madrid in a period of like a year and a half or so. So, you know, Real Madrid will be there. He said no to Barcelona because Real Madrid will be there and he is attracted to the possibility of Real Madrid. But the timing will be important as well. Yes, you make you make a very good case for perhaps the time is now uh, because there's going to be a recycling. They're convinced of getting Mbappé, maybe not next season, but the season after. There's still a lot of good quality there, players, young players. But they need more direction, more coaching, more detail that they're not getting uh, for this to be a better Real Madrid. A Real Madrid in which they won't need to, because they, they can now be spending money in the best players in the world. If they had a manager like him that can actually improve them, could be a manager for three, four years. Who knows? I doubt it, but, you know, because of uh, things work there. But in any case, it will, at some point it will happen. You say you have Manchester United, uh, you'll know better. I'm hearing no changes there for next summer, that they want to continue the same path. We will see. But uh, if Manchester United was available, what an attractive proposition. Absolutely. What an attractive proposition and project. I'm hearing it's not available. But I insist, you know, if Pep Guardiola leaves, who next? Who could be doing that job, um, you know, in following the same kind of, not philosophy, but a lot of common ground there? Yeah. Uh, it'll be, it will be him. It means maybe one year where he's not working and it means that, you know, Pep Guardiola may change his mind. That's the risk. But, uh, but as I said, his next job, whenever that is, he will be in a massive, massive club. Well, it's Friday's Transfer Window podcast. And as always, we have the legendary quick fire round. Legendary, of course, because it's not quick, but it does fire. <laughs> um, and this week, we're going to ask the question of Duncan and Guillaume about Atletico Madrid and the fact that they take a 1-0 lead uh, to Liverpool uh, in the Champions League and ask both of our uh, very venerated pundits, would uh, this be the end of Liverpool's Champions League domination? Guillaume, uh, I'm going to ask you first, do you think this is going to be a, a triumph for Diego Simeone and his club? In a way, it already has been a triumph, because you, don't, you didn't expect what happened at, uh, at the Wanda Metropolitana, and they did it so wonderfully. They were benefited, though, very clearly by an early goal. If that goal hadn't happened, it could, it could have been a different story. But they stopped Liverpool in the way that they, they've got to be stopped. They put too much, well, they put a lot of emphasis. Most of the emphasis, of course, is on quick transitions, on switches of the ball from side to side. But there's less work, and that's logical, into collective uh, answers to when teams are defending very, very deep. I do believe that uh, in the Premier League, when teams do that, they don't defend very well. Uh, so it's easier to break them. Atletico Madrid is a master of that. 
But I don't think they'll be able to do that at, at Anfield. I think the, uh, the electricity of the atmosphere, and you have to count on that. I know they don't play, the fans, but it does count. Plus, but that will that will fed into the players that will put so much high tempo into the whole thing that will create that, that, that control chaos or this organized, sorry, organized, organized chaos that the club produces that I think they will turn that around and, uh, and I'll be there to enjoy it and celebrate it as a Liverpool fan that I am. <laughs> well said. <laughs> as, and as, as all our listeners know as well, Guillaume, Dunk is an ardent Liverpool fan and oh, always scouser. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Come on, Duncan. What's your what's what's your uh, reading of it? I I think I I have to go with Guillaume. I think the the odds have to be on Liverpool's side because they are clearly the better football team of the two. Um, if you look at performances in the league, obviously comparing each other. But it, I also have to say, if there's one coach and one team who I think have the ability to set up in the right way and resist that pressure from Anfield uh, and come up with a with a particular solution to the game, then Atletico and, and Simeone are probably the, the best bets here. Um, so if they get a goal, if they get a goal early on in the game, I think it could be very interesting. But yeah, I have to defer to, to Guillaume's um, verdict on this. And just, just to... to to round it off, Guillaume, do you see this as an end of an era for Diego Simeone? Do you, do you, do you see him looking to move elsewhere after this season? Or um, does he not have an out from Atletico? Is that the club that fits him best and he stays there as long as he can? I think the victory against Liverpool, whatever happens, unless they get absolutely destroyed at Anfield, but the victory against Liverpool has given him more credit at a time where his stock was at the lowest. No doubt about that. But even then, when it looked like, well, when in fact, Atletico Madrid were looking at other managers to inform themselves about the situation, including uh, Mauricio Pochettino, they, they always said the same. Simeone will leave whenever he wants to. And that is the, the decision the club have taken. It's up to him. If he wants to leave now, yes, we will be prepared. And, we, you know, they would love to convince Pochettino to take over. But if he wants to stay, uh, then he stays. And at the moment, it looks like he wants to stay. As ever, another um, intriguing insight from Guillaume with regards to Diego Simeone and his future. Uh, This has been Friday's Transfer Window podcast. A huge thank you to our guest, Guillaume Balaguer, who you can uh, listen to on um, his own podcast, which is Pure Football. And on there... You will find already such luminaries as Gary Neville, uh, as well as uh, Rafa Benitez and um, Jurgen Klopp. Also, he has a YouTube channel, which if you go onto YouTube, you will find it uh, very very easily if you use your normal YouTube link. And then at the end, Guillaume Balaguer videos. Guillaume is also a very, very prominent uh, analyst on La Liga TV, Again, which you will be able to see on El Clasico as we spoke about uh, in depth on this particular podcast. And if you didn't know this already, he is the technical director of non-league Biggleswade United, who are challenging for promotion into the Football League. Guillaume, 
uh, massive thank you and great to have you on. Uh, you can continue the debate with us, as always, on our social media channels, which are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, on Facebook and on Instagram. Duncan Castles is at Duncan Castles on Twitter, at Duncan.Castles on Instagram. I'm on at GarboSJ uh, on Twitter and Guillaume is at Guillaume Balagate on Twitter as well. If you like what you've heard, and we know thousands of you do, please log on to iTunes and give us a five-star review. This enlarges the community even more than the two million listens, of course, you heard me talk about on Wednesday's podcast. As for this evening, uh, we will say um, thank you for listening. Uh, Enjoy your weekend of football. And we shall see you through the transfer window on Monday.